This is Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. I hope you and your family had a great weekend with you and yours. And just a heads up, there will be no news briefs the rest of this week on Thursday and Friday. So you get one more tomorrow, but uh, no Thursday and Friday. I, I think I'm off for some sort of conference or something like that uh, so in Tennessee, I think, last I heard. Anyways, I'll be over there with the rest of the CrossPolitik crew. And seeing as we're already talking about the conference, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word didn't stay in heaven. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth became flesh. The Word became flesh. The story of God's grace became flesh. And it is that Word, that truth, that story that will fill the world. That is why this year's Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Knoxville, Tennessee, is on lies, propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge. The Word is a sword. The Word is our glory. So join us October 6th through the 8th as we fight, laugh, and feast with beer and psalms. Speakers including Pastor Doug Wilson, George Gilder, Ben Merkel, Jared Longshore, and Pastor Toby Sumter. Chocolate Knox will be doing a roundtable with the Wilsons and Merkels on why stories are so potent for building family cultures that win. All cumulating in a live show with Megan Basham and Jason Whitlock talking lies in journalism. And we just announced a one-day Saturday-only pass for $99, find out more and register or become a vendor at FightLaughFeast.com. And also, just become a club member, ladies and gentlemen, at FightLaughFeast.com, and you'll get access to all the conference talks. Now, without further ado, what, here's what you may have missed over the weekend. Barbara Bush Children's Hospital in Maine offers gender transition services for nine-year-olds. The Barbara Bush Children's Hospital in Maine promotes services for transgender children offering life-altering drugs such as puberty blockers and hormone treatments, as well as how-to guides on genital tucking for boys and chest-binding methods for girls. Like so many nine-year-old girls, Lucy Tid loves to dance. I love that I'm very flexible and that I can do a bunch of stunts and stuff in my dancing and that I'm very athletic. She also loves to play the keyboard. But Lucy's life wasn't always this easygoing. That's because Lucy wasn't always Lucy. When my child Benjamin was born back in 2006, uh, he was born um, Benjamin Thomas Tidd. Bridget says Benjamin was headstrong from birth and struggled with behavioral issues. But she says there were other things that were different about Benjamin. We noticed at a young age there was this tendency to want to um, dress up and want to do what I do every day. And he used to love, if I had high heels on, he would love to hear the sound. He said, I love that sound, Mama. I love that sound. At first, the Tibbs thought it was just a stage he was going through. That was until a moment that altered their lives for good. He said to me, Mom, I wish I could die and I, God could bring me back as a girl. And that was the moment we said we would rather have our child be with a different name and identify as who she wants to be than a child that isn't here at all. I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. That's when the Tids sought help at the gender clinic at the Barbara Bush Children's Hospital. Dr. Gerald Olshan, a pediatric endocrinologist, is the medical director. You know, about one in four 
um, will attempt suicide, about half will consider suicide during adolescence. And so our big goal and what got me interested is how do we help this population do better in the long run. This isn't a choice in most individuals. This is probably biologically programmed. Maybe make some suggestions. Dr. Aaron Belfort, a child and adolescent psychiatrist, agrees. These kids aren't just kind of wishing to be the other gender. I mean, they really come into my office and say, no, I am. <laughs> I am not a girl or I am not a boy. This doesn't feel right. And then I'll do elephant yep, yep. And she says it's crucial for transgender children to get the proper support from their families and the medical community. So we know that these kids have much higher rates of depression, of anxiety, um, problems with substance abuse. Um, and much of that we understand to be related to the stigma. That video is from a 2016 piece by WMTW ABC News titled Lucy's Story, Transgender Children in Maine, a program at Barbara Bush's Children's Hospital, helps guide transgender children, written by Tracy Sable. In the video, a pediatric endocrinologist at the hospital, Dr. Gerald Olshan, said, quote, this isn't a choice in most individuals. This is probably biologically programmed. Right. Olsham said, quote, about one in four will attempt suicide, about half will consider suicide during adolescence, and so our big goal is how we help this population do better in the long run, end quote. Citing the frequently debunked transgender affirm or suicide myth, evidence has emerged this year that treatment at gender clinics for children are actually increasing suicidal ideation. The doctor's belief that gender ideology is quote, probably programmed, end quote, enabled the hospital to not only push chest binding and genital tucking, but life-changing drugs. We mentioned some data, so let's talk about it. Data from the Gender Identity Development Service, GIDS, the world's largest clinic treating transgender-identified youth, shows that patients treated at or referred to the clinic are at an estimated five and a half times greater risk of committing suicide than the general population of adolescents, according to a new paper published this month in the Archives of Sexual Behavior. There are several takeaways from Michael Briggs' study. Excuse me, Michael Biggs' study. Trans-identified youth treated or referred to GIDS are more likely to die by suicide than youth in the general population. The suicide rate is low for both populations. We cannot conclude that the GIDS patients, or GIDS patients, committed suicide because of their trans identity versus another cause. All of these numbers are estimates based on their best available data. The study results would have been more accurate if a comparison between GIDS suicides and suicides amongst youth getting mental health care could be made. Based on what Biggs found, the media narrative that trans youth are suicides waiting to happen is a lie that does not help and is likely to harm trans-identified youth and their families. Between 2010 and 2024, youth out of 15,000 patients died by known or suspected suicide. The annual suicide rate of trans-identified youth was 0.03%. This is at odds with a mainstream media narrative that claims 50% of trans-identified youth attempt suicide, says Michael Biggs, Oxford sociology professor and author of this new paper. So there you go. The more you know. Liberal strongholds cling to vaccine mandates. 
For many people, the pandemic is no longer a factor into daily life. But in a handful of liberal cities, universities, and companies, some people are still subject to vaccine mandates and may require as many as four shots to keep their jobs or spots in school. Yes, you heard that right. The madness continues. By the way, go to redballoon.work uh, to find a new job if that's still happening. Some of the mandates are facing growing protests and legal challenges. Roughly two dozen former firefighters in Seattle filed a lawsuit against the city this week for denying their requests for religious exemptions to the vaccine and firing them. New York City's largest police union successfully sued to invalidate the city's vaccine mandate for its members. A judge ruled this week that the union's contract with the police department did not include an ability for the department to enforce such a mandate. The judge ordered the Marine statement of all the union-backed members fired under the vaccination requirements. Even so, the New York City officials said they planned to fight the ruling. More than 1,700 city workers across all departments had been fired as of this month over their refusal to comply with the vaccine mandate. Four fired employees of a retirement care facility in Alabama filed a lawsuit last week against their former employer alleging religious discrimination. The former employees claim their sincere requests for religious exemptions from the company's vaccine mandate were denied improperly. Political support for such mandates has dropped precipitously over the last year, and even some of the most ardent defenders of the mandates have rolled back requirements they once championed. Governor Jay Inslee of Washington, for example, boasted in January that his vaccine requirement had nearly doubled the vaccination rate of the state workforce. He stressed at the time that, quote, no intervention is as important as vaccination in fighting COVID-19, end quote. Inslee rescinded the vaccine mandate earlier this month, setting an October 31st date for its expiration, while citing the value of different tools that are now more appropriate for the era we've entered. Goldman Sachs had for months required not just COVID-19 vaccines, but booster shots as well for employees working from its offices. The investment bank quietly ended its vaccine mandate in late August, as well as its testing requirements and mask guidance. Other major companies that pushed vaccine mandates aggressively last year, when the Biden administration was fighting an ultimately losing battle to require vaccination in virtually all workplaces, have since dropped their policies. Comcast recently dropped its vaccination mandate for employees as it struggles to lure workers back into the office. While J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, while J.P. Morgan Chase said earlier this month, this year rather, that it would start hiring unvaccinated workers again. How thoughtful! But some corporations continue to insist workers get their COVID-19 shots. Google and Facebook, for example, require vaccines for in-person employees, according to Axios. Among the most controversial remaining vaccine mandates is one imposed by Washington, D.C., leaders on children attending public school. Students 12 years and older must be fully vaccinated by January to remain in Washington, D.C. public schools. The deadline was originally set for the beginning of the school year this fall. The vaccination rates among black students in particular were low enough for city leaders to push back the effective date. I wonder what it would have been for white students. Some colleges and universities are requiring vaccines and boosters for all students, even those who take online classes. Online! Georgetown University requires even fully online students, fully online students, to be fully vaccinated if at any point their, stu- their studies will bring them to campus. Unbelievable. At the University of California, Berkeley... I don't even need to read it at this point, but here we go. Even vaccinated students will be banned from signing up for classes until they accept a booster shot. 
Recipients typically aren't eligible for boosters until several months after their primary vaccination series. And in the case of students not yet eligible for their booster shot, UC Berkeley rules say students, quote, will not have an enrollment until 30 days after you've become eligible to get your booster, end quote. Other jurisdictions are rolling vaccine mandates back slowly to balance the growing opposition to COVID-19 rules with the demands of groups that want them implemented indefinitely. New York City Mayor Eric Adams last week ended the city's policy of demanding that private companies in the city require vaccination for their employees, but he left in place the city's vaccine mandate for its own workers, for example. So there you go. But hey, from one bit of madness to another, Poland demands Germany pay $1.26 trillion in reparations for World War II. Poland's foreign minister has signed a diplomatic note requesting that Germany pay the equivalent of $1.26 trillion in reparations for damage incurred by Poland during the Nazi-German invasion that set off World War II. The $1.26 trillion amount was calculated from an extensive government report on lasting damages from the war, released on the 83rd anniversary of Germany's September 1st invasion of Poland last month. Poland's communist government had previously waived all further claims to compensation for World War II in 1953 under pressure from the Soviet Union. But the ruling law and Justice Party, PIS, rejects that it's invalid. According to Al Jazeera, PIS has taken up the cause of World War II reparations since its ascension to power in 2015, using German aggression in World War II as a central part of its nationalism. The note expresses the position of the Polish Minister of Foreign Affairs that the party should take immediate steps to permanently and effectively settle the issue of the consequences of aggression in German occupation. Poland Foreign Minister, now I'm going to try to pronounce that, said of the matter, adding that it will be one of the foremost points of discussion when the German Foreign Minister visits Warsaw on Tuesday. Germany rejects all Polish claims for reparations, saying the matter has already been settled. It further points to the vast tracts of land Poland took from pre-war Germany, given by Joseph Stalin when he redrew the post-war map of Eastern Europe, as fitting compensation. The Polish government believes the severity of damages from World War II means that further direct payments are needed in compensation. Six million Poles are estimated to have died during the war. Now, how about some good news here to mix it up a little bit? Because even my favorite topic, sports, has some bad news. So let's start with this good news first. Within just 48 hours, Florida received more than $20 million in hurricane donations. Governor Ron DeSantis and First Lady Casey DeSantis are praising the help his state has received following the devastating aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Just 48 hours, the state of Florida raised more than $20 million to go toward its Florida Disaster Fund. From more than 52 different corporations and individuals such as Tom Brady, David Rubin, and Rumble, First Lady DeSantis says the money shows how loyal people are to Florida. Within hours of activating the Florida Disaster Fund, over $10 million was raised from countless people and corporations. It just goes to show how... DeSantis has created, or the support DeSantis has created by keeping the state free from liberal madness. She said that the money is already hard at work to clean up and restore people's homes after the Category 4 storm wrecked livelihoods. DeSantis is working hard to make sure his state receives the help they need as the death toll from Ian raised to at least 50 people as floodwaters rise to dangerous levels. Now, I said I had some bad news to finish up with after that good story. It's time for my favorite topic, sports. But again, today's a somber one. At least 125 dead during the fan stampede after Indonesian soccer match. 
least 125 people are dead, most of them trampled in a stampede after violent brawls erupted between opposing fans after a soccer match in Indonesia on Sunday, marking one of the deadliest crowd calamities in sports history. Authorities initially said that 174 people were killed in the chaos, but the death toll had been revised after officials learned that some victims had been counted twice. Kind of like our COVID numbers, probably. According to East Java Deputy Governor Emil Dardik, numerous fights broke out amongst rival fans at the stadium in East Java's Providence, Malang City, just as one team, I can't pronounce that name, as the basically one home team defeated uh, the opposing team in a Premier League match on Sunday, and it doesn't help that they're rivals. In an effort to break up the fights, riot police fired tear gas, which sent hundreds of panic fans fleeing for the stadium exits, East Java Police Chief Nico Afinta said. In the chaos, dozens of people were trampled to death instantly, while others suffocated. Afinta said over 300 others were rushed to local hospitals, but many died on the way and during treatment. The disaster began when fans of Arima had pelted players and officials with bottles, that's the losing team, and other objects following their loss, witnesses said. Many of them flooded the field to confront the team's management about the unwanted outcome. Can you believe that? Their team lost, and so they went to try and kill the managers and players for a game. Armia's first home loss to uh, Presibia in 23 years. Video circulating on social media shows fans from each side of the soccer pitch sprint forward to midfield, appearing ready to fight each other before riot police suddenly run between them. Other video shows hundreds of fans frantically sprinting across the pitch for the exits, flinging themselves over barriers and desperately climbing fences. Riot police can be seen kicking and hitting people with batons as they try to get away and firing tear gas canisters directly into the crowd at both ends of the field. Officers fired tear gas directly at spectators in the stands, forcing us to run towards the exit, said, spec- said a spectator. Many, victa- many victims fell because of the shortness of breath and difficulty seeing due to tear gas and were trampled. Another video shot from the seat shows a whole section of the stands engulfed in tear gas as fans cry out. Disturbing footage shows a mass of injured people packed tightly into an overwhelmed hospital, with some lying motionless on the hospital floor. Despite Indonesia's lack of international accolades from the sport, hooliganism, that's the term hooligans for fans who just want to cause trouble, essentially. This is in England, Russia, you name it. Hooliganism is rife in the soccer-obsessed country where fanaticism often ends in violence, as in the 2018 death of a supporter who was killed by a mob of hardcore fans of a rival club just because of who he rooted for. He was killed. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what happens when you worship other gods in the place of our creator. He gives you over to madness. This has been Garrison Hardy for Cross Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, hit that share button for me down below. If you want to come to our conference this week, well, sign up for a club membership, get that discount, and get signed up. You've also got a $99 option if you can only come for one day. So head on over to fightlaughfeast.com to get that going. As always, if you'd like to email me a news story, ask about our conference, or become a corporate partner of CrossPolitik, email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. For CrossPolitik News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and Lord bless.